Acts chapter 4, uh, this, is, uh, this is a turning point for in the book of Acts. Because as you've seen so far, as we've gone through Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus is still on earth. He ascends, and then the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to, to show up. Uh, one day they're up in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and things just blow up. I mean, it just takes off like gangbusters. Uh, and, and things are continuing, and people are getting saved, and all of these things. And then last week, we looked in chapter 3, Peter and John, who were on their way to the temple for the, the daily time of prayer, and being led by the Holy Spirit, they, they went up to a man, and the man asked him for, uh, for some alms, something to help him, because he was a beggar. He hadn't been able to walk in 40 years. And Peter said to him, like, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man got up, and instead of like kind of hobbling around, he started walking and leaping and praising God. And he was doing this in the middle of the temple where all of these people were gathered for the evening sacrifice. The, three, the, the ninth hour or three o'clock was the time of the, of the evening sacrifice. So all the people come in for the prayer. He's doing this, and of course, it's going to draw a scene. And so Peter, never one, to, uh, never one to, to miss an opportunity, began to preach the gospel. He, you know, we, and we looked at his sermon last week. Well, like I said, this was a turning point. Because up until this point, the church had been kind of uh, you know, on the outskirts of things. And um, it, it was kind of looked on with, uh, with a little bit of annoyance. Today, we're going to see that things go south very quickly. For this new church, so we're going to be in Acts chapter four. Let me uh, let me pray, and then we will uh, we'll jump right into this. Father God, I ask that you'd be with our time, Lord. I ask that you would uh, allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to what the uh, what the Scripture uh, says to us today, uh, and Lord, that we would be different people as a result of being here. That we would be more like your Son Jesus. Uh, we ask all this in your beautiful name, Amen. Amen. All right, I entitled this message "In the Face of Persecution." Because up until this point, the church hadn't really faced any problems. All right? they, they hadn't really, hadn't really had any difficulties or anything like that. I want to read a verse, uh, actually the verses that Jimmy read. Um, James chapter 1, 2 through 4 says this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let your endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. At this point in, in the book of Acts, what's going to happen, as you'll see, is that God says, okay, it's time to start making you more mature. And, and, and things are going to go along. We're going we're gonna to break this down into, into four different parts in the story. I'm going to read down through, uh, as we go through, I'm going to read verses 1 through 22. Not all at the same time. But we're going to break it down. So the first thing I want you to see here in Acts chapter 1, the first point is the persecution of Peter and John. So let me read verses 1 through 7. It says this, While they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to, be about, came to about 5,000. That's important. We're going to come back to it. 
verse 5 says, The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, By what power or in what name have you done this? So what we've got going on here is this is kind of the continuation of the story that we looked at last week. Last week, like I told you, Peter and John, through the name of Jesus, they healed this man who had been sitting outside the gate. He's leaping, he's walking and leaping and praising God. He causes this big scene. All these people gather to find out what in the world is going on here. How is this man doing this thing? And Peter then took the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them. All right, he, he, he explained to them. He said, listen, this is what's happened Jesus came to earth, you all killed him, but God brought him back to life. And because of that, because all of that happened, you can be saved. All you have to do is believe on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. And he said that they did this and, and there, was, there was a great big, I mean, there was, there was I don't want to call it chaos, but a lot of things were, were going on and taking place as a result of this happening. Well, word got to the, the people who ran the temple. And they, they heard what was going on, and they said, wait a second, we can't be having this. We can't be doing this, all right? I, I, I joke with my students at school, um, we have some new playground rules, and you're not allowed to run on the playground, you're not allowed to go down the slide on the play, well, you can, but you have to do it a certain way. So I'm joking with them and going, hey guys, you can't have fun on the playground. Right? There's no fun allowed on the playground. So they, of course, they come up to me and they're like, Mr. Pearson, we're having fun. I said, no, you better stop that. Right? It's a joke. Well, the, the people that ran the temple, they heard what Peter was doing. And they said to themselves, wait a second. We can't have this. All right? The Bible tells us that they were greatly annoyed. I think the word annoyed is probably soft compared to the reaction that they were having. But they decided that they had to get involved because they simply couldn't let this stuff continue. There were a number of different reasons for this, but mostly it was fear on the part of the temple leadership. All right? They were afraid that if Peter continued to keep doing this, that it was going to take power away from them. I mean, there, there was a whole list of, um, of different things that were, that were going to happen as a result of this. There was a threat to their lifestyle. The healing of this lame man in Peter's sermon was going, had to be, it was going to change everything that was taking place. Now, uh, just a little side note. One of the groups that's mentioned as being here is the Sadducees. All right, if you've read the Gospels, you, you've heard the Sadducees before. They're always in the groups with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were always trying to catch Jesus, um, kind of trying to trip him up and, and, and do all those things. Well, the Sadducees, just to give you some background on them, um, they, were kind, they were the group that helped to run the temple. Okay? So they took care of, of all of those things. They were also really tight with the Roman government. Okay? And the reason that they were allowed to be in power was because the Romans allowed it. Right? The, the Romans, I mean, they had this huge, massive empire, and they would allow most things to go on, but some of the things that they couldn't handle, they couldn't handle chaos, and they couldn't handle disloyalty. And if, if there was chaos and disloyalty, the Romans would come in and they would squelch it quick. Right? And, and the Sadducees were concerned that, oh my goodness, there's about to be some chaos taking place. We got to stop this, because if we don't, the Romans are going to come in and we're going to lose out on, on all of these things. Um, but the Sadducees were the progressive liberal religious leaders. 
They didn't believe in the supernatural, and they certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. They were the ones that they, they didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. Um, now, this new movement that Peter and John were leading could cause problems for them. It might cause the people to lose loyalty to the temple. It might cause people to question the doctrine and the teaching of the priest. Like, why are these guys over here teaching something that you're not teaching? What's going on here? Um, they might lose their, like I said, they might lose their standing with the Roman authorities. But more importantly, the religious leaders were afraid that if the people started listening to John and Peter, that they would have to explain that they were wrong about the resurrection. They would have to admit that they knew what was taking place and they were trying to cover it up. They knew that Jesus was alive, but they were, for their own benefit, they were trying to keep people from believing it. So it was vital that they put an end to this as quickly as possible. The religious leaders, along with the temple police, they came to break up the crowd. Now, because it was so late, remember, this got started at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's no time saying what time it was. They came in, they busted up the crowd, and they grabbed Peter and John. But because it was so late in the evening, they took them and they tossed them into the temple jail. We need to get one of those. Who am I? We need, we need a temple jail for this place, right? Right, you, you, right? We'll throw all, what? Oh, yes, we can. Come on. All right. Now, they threw them, they threw them into jail. And at this point, the persecution of the church began. I, I'm going to be honest. I've never been to jail. I've seen jail on TV. It does not look good. All right. I guess I wouldn't be standing up here if I had been to jail, right? Now, I remember when I was, when I was younger, we took a, a, a field trip to a police station and we got to walk inside a jail cell. And I turned around and looked at the bars and said, I never want to do this again. Uh, jail time, jail in, in this particular time was not like the jails that we have today. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't have a good description of it. Just know that it was very different than what, what our prisoners experienced today. The next morning, though, John and Peter were brought from the jail and put in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the religious leaders of Israel. It was essentially like appearing before the Supreme Court. Okay, They were the highest body of authority in all of Israel. They were some of the most powerful men. There were 70 members with the high priest, and I think the high priest was Annas or Caiaphas. I Forgive me, I don't remember which one. Um, he made up, whoever the high priest was, made up the 71st vote. So if there was a deadlock between you know, 35 and 35, his vote would kind of go. And because they were, and this will play in in a minute, because they were the, the highest body, whatever they said was binding. Okay, So any decisions that they made became the law of the land. These were the very people who were responsible for the death of Jesus on the cross. Last week, Peter told the crowd that they were complicit in the death of Jesus. The people that he was, they were standing in front of today, they were the ones who were um, absolutely responsible for handing him over to the Romans. Right? The Romans are the ones who did the crucifixion. It was the Sanhedrin that said, this man needs to die. So Peter is looking in the face of the murderers of Jesus Christ. Now, with Peter and John in the center, the Sanhedrin began to demand how Peter and John were able to heal this lame man. They wanted to know, how did you do it? And Peter, um, Peter looked at him and knocked it out of the park. But the truth is, the Sanhedrin knew exactly how it was that this man was healed. They were just doing their best to avoid that truth. And when we, uh, from what we see here, when we begin to tell other people about Jesus, 
when we begin to live our lives in such a way that points people to Jesus, we're going to face persecution, okay? Now, the persecution that you and I face here in the United States is nothing compared to what our Christian brothers and sisters experience in places like the Middle East and parts of Africa and Asia. We've got it easy, right? If we're persecuted here in the United States, somebody might not talk to us, right? We, we, might, we might get to experience some FOMO there for a little bit, fear of missing out because, you know, we don't get invited to things and stuff. But the truth is, is, is we saw in James, God uses persecution, and we're going to talk about this again here in just a little bit, God uses persecution to grow us as believers. It's not something we should seek out. There are people that I know, and I'm sure we've all experienced, people who, who are just absolute jerks to people, right? And they're like, they, they're just absolute bullies and meanies, and, and they say they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And then when, when they face the consequences of their actions, they're like, oh, I'm being persecuted, oh, right? That's not what we're to do here. But persecution is going to come when we are living for Jesus. Now, let's go to the second part. The first thing we saw is the arrest of Peter and John. The second point is the proclamation of Peter and John. So the, the, the Sanhedrin wanted to know, what was it or how did you heal this man? And Peter said, oh, yeah. Well, since you asked, let, you know, let's get to it. Uh, Acts chapter 4, 8 through 12 says this. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by, this man, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which you must be saved. So the Sanhedrin, I mean, they, they just walked right into it. Peter goes, Really? That's what you got? He's like, all right, let me, let me tell you. And he lays it out for them. He just says, oh, you want to know how this happened? Oh, come on, guys. And so given the stage, Peter steps up and knocks it out of the park. The first thing I want us to notice, though, is that the very first thing verse 8 says is Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a fulfillment of what Jesus told his disciples was going to happen. Luke chapter 2, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 21, pardon me, uh, 12 through 15 says this, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. What happened to Peter and John? They got their hands laid on them, they got thrown in jail, they were persecuted. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name, an exact fulfillment of what Jesus told them was going to happen. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. When, they, when facing persecution, you know what you got? You got an opportunity to talk about Jesus. It's not an opportunity to sit on the ground and cry. It's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And we're going to see that what happens as we continue here through Acts 4 is an exact fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to go down. The second thing that we need to note here in this passage is this Peter 
is very different, Peter, than the one that we see in the Gospels. Okay, just about two months earlier, Jesus was about to be crucified. Jesus was on trial. Peter is sitting by a fire, and there's a little girl, all right? A little girl. I mean, forgive me. I know, I know that it was like, he hates little girls. Like, why does he keep emphasizing? All right, he's a grown man. And this little girl comes up, and he starts quaking in his boots. He starts getting scared, and she's like, you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw you with Jesus. No, I'm telling you I was. Right? He started cursing and swearing at this little girl to prove that he wasn't there with Jesus. Right? This was Peter who, who was cowering and, and running and, and scared of small children because of this. Now he is standing before the most important people in the nation, and he looks right at him and says, you know what? You guys are the ones who killed Jesus. Peter had no idea what the outcome of him opening his mouth was going to be. These guys could have him thrown in jail. They could have him beaten. They could even hand him over to the Romans as they did Jesus and have him crucified. And Peter looks at them with all boldness and says, you are the ones who murdered Jesus. This is a very different Peter than, than the one we've seen. Now, in answer to their question, Peter makes three points. First, he states that it was by the name of Jesus, the Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the man was healed. It's important to note that when he called him Jesus Christ, what he was saying was the word Christ means Messiah. And so when he said Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he was telling him, this man that you had crucified, it was the Messiah. You know that one that we've been waiting to, to rescue our nation and to set all things right? Yeah, he was here, and y'all killed him. Right? You are responsible for putting him on that tree. Um, the second thing is that Peter states to the Sanhedrin that they were the ones who killed Jesus. It wasn't anybody else. They had no excuse. They knew who he was because they were the religious leaders. And because of the, uh, the, the, the disruption he was going to cause to them, they had him killed. But he points out, this was very different from what Peter said to the crowd. Peter told the crowd last week when we looked that they were complicit in it. Here, he's just flat out saying, y'all did it. Right? You, you are the ones who did it. And the third thing, the third thing that, um, uh, pardon me, I lost my place here. Oh, third, Peter states that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. That the, the man that the, uh, that the Jewish religious leaders tried to kill was very much alive, as evidenced by the fact that this man was healed, that this, this, this beggar that was sitting outside the gate was healed. Peter said all of these things. And you've got, you got to imagine that there was some rage going through the Sanhedrin at this point. Right? The, the scripture doesn't tell us, but you've got to imagine they were probably foaming at their mouth. And um, you know, There are different places in Acts where it talks about people ripping their clothes and throwing dust in the air. That was probably taking place because, I mean, how would you feel if somebody stood in front of you and just condemned you for the things that you, you had done? Especially in regards to killing the Messiah. I, I, I imagine in my head as I was as I was studying through this, the, the only thing that kept playing over and over again was when Tony Stark told the reporters that he was Iron Man and just the, the reaction that took place. Okay, a couple of you got that. All right. Now, go after he does all of this, Peter then he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, when he says, The stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. He said, Jesus was the cornerstone that you rejected. And what he's doing here is he's telling the Sanhedrin that they have two choices in regards to Jesus. They can either continue to reject him 
as they had been doing, or they could build their life off of him. I didn't know what a cornerstone was, right? Every time I hear cornerstone, I think of a church because there's lots of churches named cornerstone. So I looked it up. A cornerstone is the most important stone when you're building something, okay? And the reason it is, is because every other stone that is laid in the foundation or in that wall gets its bearing off of that cornerstone. So if that cornerstone is, is crooked or, or set in there improperly, the whole wall is going to be set improperly. Jesus is the cornerstone, and we can either reject him or we can accept him and build our lives on him. Peter closes this incredible speech by stating an incredible truth about Jesus. In, in Acts 4.12, he tells us that there is, salva- there is no salvation except through the name of Jesus Christ. Despite the claims of other religious beliefs and those that believe that working your way to heaven is going to get you there, the only salvation, the only way salvation is possible is through the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12, let me read it again. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. John 14.6 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 16.31, which we'll get to a couple months from now. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Peter told the Sanhedrin that they had two choices in regards to Jesus. They could reject him as they, had, as they were doing or they could build their lives on him. The same choice is given to you and me. When you hear about Jesus, when the gospel is presented to you, you have one of two choices. This is not a multiple choice test. This is, you're either doing this or you're doing this. You can either reject him and stop listening, or you can accept the claims of Jesus and surrender your life to him and get the salvation that he is offering to you. You can either either reject him or we can repent of our sins and turn our lives over to him. There is no in-between. There's no, well, no. It's it's one or it's the other. There there is no in-between there. You cannot straddle the fence on this issue. It is of eternal consequence. Now, the third thing that we see here in this passage is the reaction of the religious leaders. All right, I'm going to read down Acts 4, 13 through 18. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. I hope people can say that about me. I hope people can, when they they hear me and spend time with me, they recognize that I have been with Jesus. I hope the same can be said of you all. Let's keep going. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they, ordered them to leave, after they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. Peter just laid out the gospel for these religious leaders. He he told them, look, this is what happened. Jesus came to earth. Jesus was the Messiah. You all killed him, but God raised him back from the dead. And if you want to be saved, you need to believe on on his name. 
And the, the religious leaders heard them, the ones who were trained and should have been expecting and waiting for the Messiah. And their reaction was, we've got to cover this up. We got to, we got to keep it. This is, this is going to blow up our lives. We've got to cover this up. So what they did was they sent them out of the sand. They sent them out of their presence and they started to come up with a plan on how do we keep this message from spreading? How do we keep these two men and, and the people that are following them? How do we keep this from spreading? And so their solution was, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten them. We're going to tell them if they keep talking about Jesus, we're going to bring them in here and we're going to beat them. And if they keep talking about Jesus, then we're going to throw them into jail. We're going to threaten them to the, the only thing that they could not threaten them with was the death penalty. The Romans were the ones who had the death penalty. But the Sanhedrin could threaten them with everything up to that point. And they continued to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to keep this from spreading. The Sanhedrin wanted to punish Peter and John. They wanted to do something at this point. But Peter and John pulled the, uh, they, they pulled probably one of the greatest moves in all of legal history. They brought the dude that had been healed into the courtroom. And so he was standing right there, and they're like, uh, uh, what do we do? Um, that guy, he used to lay in the street, and well, now he's standing. He's probably, you know, he's probably still le- walking and leaping and praising God, right? That's, I, I can't wait to get to heaven to see this guy. Like, I hope he's still walking and leaping and praising God at that point. But they looked and they go, uh, well, uh, you know, it was kind of like, um, if the gloves fit, you must. If the gloves don't fit, you must acquit, right? They, uh, I'm just throwing out all those references there, right? Right? They looked at him and they said, "Well, we can't say anything because, because the man is healed, and if we if we deny it, well, people are gonna be like, uh, guys, um, he's walking, right? He's cutting his grass right now. I mean, what? what you, how are you doing? How are you denying this? So what they said was, they they realized that there was nothing that they could do in this situation. And so they conferred together and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a tactical retreat. We're going to step back. We're not going to do anything to them at this point. Because if we do, we're going to lose the crowd. We're going to lose public opinion. Again, the, the religious leaders had the opportunity to do the right thing. But instead, they were swayed in hopes of keeping public opinion on their side. So what they did was they called John and Peter and John back in and threatened them about preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. They expressly forbid Peter and John from preaching. And be, like I said, because they were the highest body, anything that they said was binding. So they had every, they, they could say, if you do this again, this is what's going to happen. All right. Now, to their credit, uh, we're going to go to point four. Um, I called this one because I couldn't think of anything else. The praise of the people. And you'll see why I call it that in a second. Uh, Acts chapter 4, let's read down through verse 22, says this. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them, because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Right? The, the people saw the healing and they were praising God because this guy had been laying there um, begging for, for several decades, want, asking them, and suddenly he is up walking around. Now, in the face of persecution, knowing full well what the consequences for preaching Jesus were going to be, Peter and John looked at them and said, 
yeah, sorry, I ain't going to do that. They knew that if they got arrested, if, they, if the priests came after them again or, or the, the Sadducees came after them again, they knew that there were going to be consequences. And in the face of that, in knowing that this was going to happen, Peter and John looked and said, sorry, dude, you decide whether us listening to you is right or wrong. We've seen God, we've seen Jesus do some amazing things, and we're not going to be quiet about it. You can do whatever you want to us. We're still going to keep talking about what's happened. The Sanhedrin was not going to be able to shut them up, even if it meant that they were going to experience some really bad days. And if you continue to read through the book of Acts, you know they experienced some really bad days. Knowing that there was nothing they could do because of popular opinion, the Sanhedrin threatened them and released them again. They had to because all the people who had heard about this miracle were giving glory to God for what had been done. And like I said, the man, had, the man who had been healed was over 40 years old. This was truly a miracle. Now, at the beginning, when I started this, I said, we're going to come back to it. There's an even greater miracle that took place, though. In Acts 4.4, it says this. Um, it says, but many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. In the midst of all of this going on, Peter, he, uh, the, the man being healed in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter delivering the message, Peter and John getting, uh, getting arrested and thrown into prison and, and standing in front of the Sanhedrin, in the midst of all of that, there were 5,000 men who became believers in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't even include the women and children that were there. Right? There are some numbers that, that estimate that in, since the church began, since that, that day, the, the day of Pentecost and so on, that this brand new church numbered between 10 and 20,000 believers in a very short time. Can you imagine what growth, that, that growth must have been like? I mean, that right there is the true miracle in all of this. Now, in the face of persecution, Peter and John stood boldly and proclaim the gospel. They were threatened with severe beatings, and still they persisted in speaking the name of Jesus. John MacArthur, I, 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 if you spend any time with me, you're going to hear me talk about John MacArthur. I love, love me some John MacArthur. John MacArthur made the point that the first believers had to be told to stop talking about Jesus. But today, we have to be told to start talking about Jesus. All right, I mean, that, that, that's kind of a, a, a sad flip-flop that we've come to where they were threatened with beatings to get them to shut up and now we're, we live in a day where we're not going to get beaten and we can't get people to talk about it, right? We can't, we can't do that. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, 63 verse 7 says this, I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the, all, because all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. For those of us who are believers, we can expect and anticipate persecution. Whether we want, whether we, we may not be experiencing the type of persecution that our brothers and sisters in Iran and Iraq and, and other places in the Middle East are, are experiencing. There is nobody, at least I hope not, there's nobody going to bust through this door right now, arrest me, and threaten me with chopping off my head if I don't stop talking about Jesus. 
But as we continue on, persecution is going to get worse. Jesus Christ told us to expect persecution. Peter talks about expecting persecution. John, or I'm sorry, James talks about experiencing persecution. This should not be something that we go looking for, but it's also not something that we should fear or run from. Right? I hear, the, I hear people say, oh, they're going to chop your head off. It makes me a little nervous. I, I, I like my head. All right? I think it's a nice shaped head. It, it, I look in the mirror sometimes. I'm like, oh, that looks really good where it is. Right? But I also understand that there is coming a day, if the Lord tarries, where that's a very real possibility for us. That right now, we as Christians, we, we have a, a tenuous relationship with the culture. I say tenuous because there are, you can turn on the TV and you can see examples of persecution that's taking place. I think of, 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 of bakeries that have gone out of business because of their religious beliefs. I think of, of teachers who have been fired from their, posi- from their positions because of their religious beliefs. There's, there's examples of persecution all over the place. It's not something that we should seek out, but it's also not something that we should run and be scared of. Because as we saw with Peter today, in the face of persecution, do you know what we have? We have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. God allows us to face persecution so we can proclaim the name of Jesus and the things that he has given to us. Um, there's a couple of things here about that. First, the first thing is persecution is going to show who the true Christians are. Right? We, we, I, I, I talk about this, and we, we talked about it briefly yesterday. We are living in what's a post-Christian environment. Okay? Now, and, and the reason I say it's post-Christian is because for the past few decades, being a Christian has been the culturally acceptable thing to do. That's why everybody went to church on Sunday morning. And if you were that dude that was out cutting your grass on Sunday morning and people drove by, they would give you the stink eye, okay? You were expected to be in church. We have since shifted away from that. And so the fact that we are gathered here this morning, people are now probably going, what in the, why would they give up their Sunday morning? Look, it's beautiful outside. We gotta cut the grass. I gotta get my house ready because I got uh, people coming over. These are only things that I can do on Sunday morning. Right? These are only things that I can do on Sunday morning. Persecution is going to show us who the true Christians are. Because when things get difficult, the ones that were only doing it for cultural acceptance are going to be the first ones to leave. I'll give you an example. I, I talk about how much I love to run. I love to run until it hurts. And as soon as it starts to hurt, guess what I do? I stop doing it. Okay, I haven't run in months. You know why? Because it's cold. Because it's dark. Because it hurts and I'm tired, right? I don't, I don't run like I, I, I talk about how much I love to run. I, sometimes I'll actually go and run. But once it starts to hurt, I quit doing it. I'm not a true runner. The same thing is going to happen. When persecution comes, we're going to see who the true believers really are. And the second thing is that persecution is what God uses to strengthen and mature us as believers. I already read James 1, 2 through 4, but I'm going to do it again. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, and this is closing. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's pray. Father, I, I, thank you for, I thank you for this story of Peter, this example that is given to us in what to do 
when we come in face of persecution, Lord. And I, I said that this was a turning point for the church because even though there was no punishment given to Peter and John based on the, the supernatural healing that, uh, that Jesus did through these men, persecution is going to come to the church. And Lord, we as a church here in Shenandoah Junction, we may not experience physical persecution. We may not even experience economic persecution at this point, Lord. But Father, I pray that today would be a day for us to um, understand that, that there is going to be times where we are going to be excluded because of our beliefs. And we are going to be, uh, we're going to be looked down on and we may even be um, spoken to harshly uh, and, and different things like that because of our belief in Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would give us, as you, as you said in Luke chapter 21, that the Spirit would give us the words to say and we'd have the opportunity to proclaim your name. And Father, I, 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 I say all of this and, and I'm speaking to believers, Lord, but I understand that there are people that are maybe sitting here in the church this morning watching uh, via Facebook or are gonna be listening later on through the podcast who may not be believers. There's never been a time where they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They've never repented of their sins. They're still in their, in their brokenness trying to find ways to fix the brokenness, Lord, to, to help themselves feel better when, when, when the true way to, to heal that brokenness is repenting and believing the gospel. Lord, I know that there are people that are hearing my voice who find themselves there. And so, Father, I ask that today would be the day that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins, that you, that you would open their eyes to their need of salvation, and that they would truly trust in you and give surrender their lives to you so that their sins can be forgiven and they can experience a new heart, and an eternal life in heaven one day. Lord, if there's anyone here that's here in, in this room or hearing my voice or, or, or watching via Facebook, Lord, that today would be the day that they would give their lives to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, help us as we uh, leave this place today, Lord, that we would have the opportunities to, to share, that we would never cease speaking, um, that it would, couldn't be said of us, that, that the early church couldn't stop talking but the, the church today, um, the, the church today won't start talking, Lord. Help us to, to always go out and proclaim the great and mighty things that you've done for us. Lord, I ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.